My name is Amy Ostriker, and according to doctors, I'm a surgical disaster. At 18 years old, I thought I had my life pretty figured out. I was going to go to college, then Broadway, then change the world. That April, we had our big annual Passover Seder, and I started to get a stomachache, and it didn't go away. So my dad decided to take me for an x-ray just in case it wasn't the matzah. And that's the last thing I remember. My stomach actually exploded from a blood clot, literally hitting the ceiling of the operating room. Both my lungs collapsed and I almost died. When I woke up from a coma months later, doctors told me that I had no stomach anymore. I couldn't eat or drink, and they didn't know when or if I'd ever be able to again. What do you say to that? I was devastated, but mostly confused, like I had woken up in someone else's life. I even remember Googling, how do I find myself? And where did I find myself? Eight months later, I was finally discharged from the hospital. So I had this fantasy that on the day I was finally discharged from the hospital, I'd be all dressed up, have no medical bags attached to me, skip out the door, grab a burger on my way out, and waltz back into my old life. Except my waltz partner was my IV pole, and burgers don't go down so well without a digestive system. My parents felt like we needed a new beginning after this, so they surprised me with a new house. The house was bare. No memories of my old life, like my life before the coma had never existed. Buying a house, was it for me or them? Who was I now, and what was this body covered in adhesive, plugged into machines, leaking out of openings I didn't even know I had? The only good part about an empty house was an empty fridge. Thank God there was no food in the house. Until a family friend came over and brought us a dozen bagels, some whitefish salad, and a schmear. And I just remember standing over the counter, picking the poppy seeds off of a bagel, carving out its doughy insides with my fingernails and making that crust feel as hollow as I felt inside. And after I had mutilated this poor mound of dough, this evil thing that threatened to kill me if I even attempted to eat it, I didn't know what to do with myself. I was hungry for a purpose and food. I wanted spiritual fulfillment to, to find God again, but I give them up in a heartbeat for a hunk of steak. Instead, I had what my dad called my nightly pina colada cocktail, which was actually a three-liter bag of milky white IV vein food that I'd have to carry around in a purse for 16 hours a day in addition to a feeding tube and a backpack. My parents were heartbroken that I couldn't eat, so they rid the house of all food. My dad would actually come home from work and hide in the garage eating his eggplant parmesan. But my sense of smell at that time was superhuman, so I was definitely on to him. I missed having contact with food. What people don't understand is that seeing food, smelling it, even playing with it gave me some kind of vicarious satisfaction. In the hospital, all the kids who couldn't eat were always the ones who wanted to play in the toy kitchen. We're obsessed with what we can't have. So I was going 
crazy with no food in the house. I mean, even if I can't eat it, can I at least hold a potato or smell it orange? Not being able to eat was difficult, but not being able to drink, especially in the heat of summer, was just torture. After a full year of not even an ice cube, I was finally allowed to drink clear liquids. Heaven! Two ounces of water the first week, then four, then six. I couldn't wait to take my very first sip of water with the tiniest straw I could find. I took a sip, and then I remembered that water didn't taste like anything. <laughs> then I started to have a little fun with fluids. Since I didn't have a working digestive system yet, the surgeons actually created an opening in my neck. So anything I drank went through the opening and into a little bag. I would try to drink different colored juices based on what I was wearing so my bag would match my outfit. <laughs> For Halloween, I drank cherry red Kool-Aid and then I took the bag off. And as the red liquid spewed from my neck, I said, do not be afraid, I'm a vampire. Ah! I think I was the only one that got a kick out of that. <laughs> All this time, I was unable to eat a thing. Day after day, week after week, month after month, I waited patiently. It wasn't until two years after that that I was finally allowed to eat, thanks to a 19-hour surgery and three shifts of nurses and doctors. As I was recovering, every other person came up to me and said, oh, hey, I worked on you. Oh, I worked on you, too. I'm a celebrity. But healing was not a straight path. Wounds opened, stitches burst loose, and I learned that no surgery is a guarantee. 27 surgeries later. My parents have this tradition that whenever I'm discharged from a surgery at the hospital, we go to the nearest mall to celebrate. It started as their way of getting my mind off of food when I couldn't eat. So one of these times we go to Costco, and we're stocking up on the 50 packs of toilet paper and 30-gallon boxes of hefty garbage bags or 60,000 gallons of garbage bags when all of a sudden I feel this eruption in my stomach. I look down, and I see this stream of fluid spewing out of me. Surra this is fun for you to do, right? Surrounding me in a pool of <laughs> So I put my bargain books down. I look at my mother. I look at my father. And then we just get the hell out of there. So I'd like to offer my personal apologies to Herb, the employee that was called to clean up on aisle six. Um, I would like to dedicate the rest of this oleo to Herb. So Costco was not the only havoc we were causing. Every time I had a setback, we were put back in the hospital. And my parents slept in the ICU with me every night, so they were feeling a little cooped up too. We had to get out, so we decided one day to make a break for it and go shopping. The time was 3.35 p.m. on a Tuesday. The doctors had rounded. The nurses were filling their meds. The coast was finally clear to bust out of this joint. We plotted our escape in the mess hall. Dad would keep a lookout while Mom and I headed towards the service elevators, down to the lobby, out the back entrance, onto 166 in Broadway, and we'd be free men. I was having a great time. I was finally free of my IV pole for an hour. I was dancing in the middle of the street singing, I got no IVs to hold me down. <laughs> I didn't understand why everyone was staring at me until my mom reminded me that I was still in my hospital gown. 
I didn't care. I raced down the street, turned a corner, and found myself face to face with Juanita, the social worker. <laughs> Someone must have tipped her off. We were kindly escorted back, and at nurse's report that night, there was a little announcement. Amy Ostriker, blood draw, bandage change, and please make sure that she and her family stay on the unit. You're not my mother. You can't give me a curfew. I know as an ICU patient, I just can't go traipsing about New York, but I was also a stir-crazy teenager. The doctor seemed to just expect me to be happy that I was alive, but I wanted a timetable for how long it would take to get my real life back again. People are telling me I'll eventually be put back together soon, and eventually I'll be able to eat and drink. Soon enough, before you know it, time, patience, not today, but, but what about today? What about tomorrow and the day after tomorrow? I am never getting to college. All I wanted to do was act. I studied, found the best teachers. Idiot! I'm sick of being a patient, a science experiment. People call me a miracle. Really? What kind of miracle? People look at me like I'm a freak in a sideshow. Oh, poor Amy. And I'm supposed to put on a smile so they don't feel bad. Well, I'm so glad they don't feel bad. It makes everything so much better. I'm 28 and everyone treats me like a, a child. I can take care of myself. If I fall, I'll get up. Don't help me. Nobody has any answers, not even the doctors. I thought my parents knew everything. They can't even help me. This sucks. I wish I could. I wish. I wish I was. Then I found a quote. Everything will be okay in the end. And if it's not okay, it's not the end. If it's not okay, it's not the end. I could write the ending to my own story. And so I did. I wrote a musical and I called it Gutless and Grateful. <laughs> I had never spoken about what had happened to me ever before. And now I was just singing it to total strangers and New York theater critics. As fearless as this may have seemed, telling my story made me feel normal. I no longer felt like this outcast, forever exiled from the world I knew as a teenager. I had made the triumphant comeback, and this was my story. So after a big milestone like that, you know, some people might uh, go to the bar for a drink, someone else might bake a cake, someone might post it on Facebook. Not me. I decided to get another surgery. It was an elective surgery that was supposed to make me normal, which was weird because I was never really normal before. I knew this was a risky surgery, but it was supposed to clear up some leftover kinks that I had. So there I am lying in the gurney of the operating room when the surgeon bends over and he whispers in my ear, so are you sure you really want to do this? So with my last ounce of strength, I lifted up my head and I said, I just did a one-woman show. I could do anything. 
apparently not everything. Three extra surgeries, two catheters, and a few more months at Mount Sinai later, I woke up with more problems than I came in with. So now here I was, set even further back with even more medical complications. I was frustrated, angry, I felt guilty. I felt like I had messed everything up. They say that everything happens for a reason, but that's not always true. Sometimes you have to make it happen. I still think of my old life sometimes and I miss it. I miss the simplicity. I look back at old photographs and I see the joy and innocence that was in my eyes. I know I can't be 13 again. I can only be the best 28 I can. But sometimes I do wonder what my life would have been like if this had never happened. This is not the life I planned for myself, but does anyone's life ever work out exactly how they plan it? I was led astray and hurt taken apart and put back together, but differently. But my passion never went away. I kept my hunger alive. And now I know that my role in life is to still be that same performer I always wanted to be when I was 13. But now with an even greater gift to give, a story to tell. Thank you. We all have a story to share and a voice that is meant to be heard, and we want to share yours. For more information and to get involved, visit storiesofinspiringjoy.com. Stories of Inspiring Joy is a production of Seek the Joy Media and created by Sydney Weiss. You can find all episodes on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and if you like the show, hit subscribe, leave us a rating and review, and follow along on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We're creating greater connection and community, one powerful story at a time.